Sometime in the summer of 2019, I remember I was driving through downtown and I came to the stoplight at the corner of Church and Geneva. And I noticed there was a young guy there kind of darting in and out of traffic, looking pretty rough around the edges, as there often is around that corner. And I had this split-second experience that caught me off guard and that will embarrass me to share. But I instinctually started to look away from him and then had an immediate thought of, oh, wait, he's probably one of our guys because we're at Southridge now. And it caught me off guard, both to notice that something in my mindset was obviously changing. You know, we're part of Southridge now, and so that means we're going to care differently about some things. But what was far more disturbing was the question beneath. Like, why was a change needed? Like, what in the world had ever made me think that he wasn't ours? You know, that he wasn't a part of my world or our family, whether I was a part of Southridge or not. It was a crystallizing moment for me, a canary in the coal mine of my heart. Now, I had still barely dipped my toe in the water here in this community, but I realized in that moment that I was experiencing something in this kind of church that somehow I had not encountered in my 30 years previous. I have many, many flaws, but being uncaring is not something that's typically true of me which is why I was so caught off guard by what surfaced in me in that moment. Now, why would one of the basic tenets of Jesus, mercy for the outcast, caring for the poor, love for the least of these, which is actually a phrase I hate because there are no least of these, but why would something so basic and foundational to Jesus feel like a brand new thing to me here? And I wonder, I thought my heart cared But if I'm honest, I didn't see my life caring. And I think that gap was making itself known. When when faced with the big problems in the world, you know, poverty, addiction, injustice, war, I think I've typically felt four things. Heartbroken. Now that there is so much pain in the world, the weights that some people are carrying are so unfair. Guilty. You know, that I have what they need. The the feeling that somehow I won the lottery and somebody else didn't. I've felt fearful, both irrationally and, and sometimes with decent cause. You know, in some difficult environments that are outside of my typical daily privileged experience. Even things that trigger my own trauma experiences. Ultimately, I have felt frozen. Now, being well aware that I cannot fix the size of these problems, I've mostly just stood there frozen staring at them, or more accurately, not staring at them. And yet, I've done the best things I thought I knew to do. You know, a one-two punch of give money to charity because surely they can fix the practical problems, and pour my life into spreading the gospel. Now, because surely Jesus is the answer, I mean, we might not be able to give everyone food to eat, but we can give everyone Jesus. And once people have Jesus, then everything will be okay, right? Well, yes, and I think I've been confused about what the gospel is. And maybe never even really thought about the difference between an articulated gospel and an embodied one. 
about whether learning and talking and telling about Jesus was maybe not quite the same thing as actively being the presence of Jesus in the world. And I had put so many of my eggs in the basket of the telling that I'd lost sight of the fact that the being is way more important. You know, that the being does the telling way more effectively than all of the words in the world. I think the reason that basic tenet of Jesus felt new to me here is because here makes it way more real than I've experienced anywhere else. As you heard Nate describe last week, this is our annual Hope Lives series, the the once a year highlight when we all together take a closer look at what we call our anchor causes, those location-specific initiatives where we seek to really live out the compassion and justice of Jesus in our local communities. In St. Catharines, this means accompanying people experiencing homelessness. In, in Welland, it's connecting with those going through food and housing insecurity. In Vineland, it's getting to know the migrant farm worker community from the Caribbean. Now, they say that experience is the best teacher, and here, becoming part of Southridge is when we began to have real-life experiences with the very real faces and hearts and lives of those being pushed out to the edges of society. For for the simple fact that they've been forced to deal with life circumstances that I've never faced, or were born without the kinds of privileges that I completely take for granted. So we came and and we jumped in pretty quick, volunteering in the shelter kitchen. You know, because we're people who do the things. But I was still carrying all of those complicated feelings about the big problems in the world and still holding like a charity benevolence mindset. It was still this awkward wrestle inside. But I remember the light bulb moment when it absolutely changed for me. And that is when someone explained that while economic and racial or mental health or whatever other disadvantages might exist in a person's life, the compound interest on that already unfair trauma is that the rest of society tends to pull away from those people relationally as well. Now, leaving them isolated, ignored, forgotten, judged, made to feel practically invisible. When I realized that I was not just helpless to fix the problem, but I was the problem, you know, that I was actively participating in marginalizing people because I was unintentionally, but pretty clearly distancing, holding myself off relationally from all kinds of people, letting people be invisible right in front of me. Perhaps the worst poverty isn't a lack of funds, it's a lack of friends. And when I suddenly saw that lens, everything changed. That frozen thing shook right off because love I have, relationship I can give, and not giving out of compassion, but instead just being compassion, you know, being present, being gentle, being joyful, being curious, being attentive, being someone who has someone else's back, being welcoming, being peaceful, being hopeful, just plain being there. Now this, this we can do. I was made for that. You were made for that. We're all made for that. That is the Jesus right among us. Relational marginalization, we can eliminate right now. All we have to do is open up our own arms to each other. So then my heart started to move all on its own as I began to enter into that experience, entering into genuine friendship with those very different from me. And then life life transformation actually started to take place on the inside. Instead of it being like a charity coat I was trying to put on from the outside, 
how it is becoming real. And we actually see the same thing in the scriptures with Jesus' own disciples. You know, the difference that hands-on, close-up experience makes in the actual transformation of a life, in growing the, the kind of faith that comes out of your head and travels down deep into your bones. There are a couple of stories in Luke that illustrate that journey well. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters and the storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith? He asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. These guys had spent three years at this point being close with Jesus, listening to his teaching, watching him perform miracle after miracle. And still they said, who is this guy? I don't know what's happening here. Now skip ahead to chapter 9, verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Totally different response. Now, so what happened in between these two encounters? How does Peter go from terrified awe and baffled about who this guy is to saying, I know exactly who you are. You are the Messiah of God. Something changed. Peter was seeing with new eyes. Some switch had flipped inside. And he was transformed from the inside out in his very being. What happened in between was that Jesus sent the 12 out on their own, forced them to step out of his shadow, to stop learning about the stuff in their heads, and to start doing it with their bodies. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. Interesting, isn't it? How Jesus basically orders them to be dependent on one another. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. One thing happened. They put their theoretical learning into real life action. Experience is the greatest teacher and experiential discipleship takes everything we think we know about Jesus and everything about who we want to be and makes it 100 times more real in us and in the world. The world that is so lost and broken and struggling and desperate to know the kind of love that really can turn pain and aloneness and systemic injustice upside down. That really can push out darkness with light. One step, one support, one meal, one game, one friendship at a time. When we make the real presence of Jesus a real and tangible experience in the world for all of us. 
And so I am grateful to be part of a church that has programs or really intentional communities of people to help us all figure out how to do this, how to be this better. That's why our anchor causes exist, to give us opportunities to experience discipleship through the exchange of, of mutual love, of mutual learning, of mutual life building as we further Jesus' heart of compassion and justice in the world. Uh, now, I'm pretty much the last person who would ever be looking for another commitment to throw on my calendar. I already feel like the needs of my life do not fit into the boundaries of my life. So why in the world would I sign up for one more thing? Because this thing really, really matters. And without the signing up, the change doesn't happen organically enough. It just doesn't. Like We are too far gone. We're too saturated in a culture that slides the other way. And the way I see it, for me at least, throwing my all into formal programs offers a few benefits that I don't quite seem to be able to affect on my own yet. Intentionality. You know, I hate the faked, forced feel of a program, sure. And I recognize that we need the intentionality of a program. When we're trying to form new muscles, when we're out of our depth, a bit of structure and a guide to follow helps. Now, making a commitment to something formal helps bring me into alignment with who I want to be, but who I know I most likely won't get around to becoming if I'm just left to my own devices. Because essentially, these programs are actually just the commitment to keep coming back to spaces that will help foster relationships with friends that I don't generally bump into otherwise. Yes, these enact the justice that Jesus calls us to, feeding and clothing and visiting. Yes, these can break cycles of poverty for others. But it's also about who God is calling me to become through people who may seem so unlike me, but who reveal the face of Jesus to me. Now, that monthly or weekly commitment on the shelter kitchen schedule pulls me back into alignment again and again with who I want to be into the environment that is forming the heart of Jesus inside of my own chest again and again. So whether it's volunteering at the front desk or coming out for a Euchre night, adopting a migrant worker farm family, or delivering harvest kitchen meals to families who can't get out, you know, our commitments to the non-organic program make space for the organic magic to happen within them. Proximity. You know, they also offer us proximity, like just really good excuses to get close to one another. I don't know about you, but I feel very awkward at friendship, especially new friendship. But give us something to do together, a game, a dinner, a hands-on project that we can join shoulder to shoulder in. And I'm telling you, the kind of conversation that will connect us heart to heart is also going to materialize. Because that's where friendship happens. That's, and that's where change happens. I need as much proximity as is humanly possible because everything in the system and the culture around us is set up to keep pushing people to the margins. Different groups of people for different reasons, but, but my eyes will slide shut on their own without my even realizing it if I don't do something persistently, stubbornly intentional about closeness. And I, I can't know you from a distance. I can only know you up close. I can't love you from a distance. Love only happens up close. When it's hard and when it's messy and when it's inconvenient, it's beautiful, but it only happens up close. And that leads to the third one, which is that the formalized anchor cause programs give us the benefit of togetherness. You know, they, they give us the benefit of each other on the journey, and we need that so much. Not only is it just way more fun to do together in the good moments, like if you haven't seen Becky Lockyer put Jeff in his place during a shelter kitchen shift, you have not tasted real joy. 
but it's also way easier in the hard moments. You know, like when you see things together that shake you to the core, you see them together. Also taking these journeys together helps us when we still don't know all that we don't know. Like I need to learn from people who have had the chance to spend way more time learning about the unintended dark sides of some of our very well-intentioned efforts. Someone who spent time and energy and education exploring ways that we really can help without causing harm. Ways to upend systems without upending people. So if you don't happen to be familiar with the Anger Cause Ministries in your location or in our whole church, you know, cross that divide today and start exploring the heart-shaping, world-changing, justice and compassion-releasing stuff going on right under your nose with those wonderful weirdos who happen to be sitting in the chairs beside you right now. Now, you can talk to a location pastor. You can email Nate right now. Just take a step. And if you'd like a sneak peek of what that looks like around here, check out this video. Our shelter retreat is like the standard youth group retreat that you maybe experienced growing up, but for adults. Oh, it was amazing. It was community at its best. Just mind-blowing how everybody was so positive. We got to play games and uh, we had cabins and we had bandanas, just like Survivor, which was so exciting. <laughs> uh, so the, the sh the retreat at Camp Crossroads had a whole mix of people. Uh, our family was there um, and uh, a lot of friends from the shelter. We also, after the services, at times we would go with our cabin people in a small group and have discussion. The worship was definitely a cool part in the chapel. Um, I think that like all the games we did in the chapel was really fun with the worship and with all the kids like on the stage clapping. The games were, were a clincher for me. No one snored, not like the guys' cabins. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't get a whole lot of sleep that night, but... Uh... And hearing them snore. It's like, okay, that's my brother. What makes our retreat experience so unique is the people, this unique mix of people who have experienced homelessness either in the recent history or a long time ago, volunteers who are engaged in all sorts of different roles, staff, members of our church community who are all experiencing this retreat together. It was called the shelter camp, but there was no delineation. Like we were all one. I can relate so much yeah. better. I know that person more. I don't have them in like a category. They're a person with this history and these experiences. It was an opportunity to make closer friends. Years ago, I would have, I would have thought a lot differently about people that have either lived in a shelter or live in a shelter now. And and the retreat was just that opportunity to really get to know some some new friends. I think it's important because we need to be grounded. Sometimes we get lost. Your sense of well-being changes. Like what what your goals are for yourself will change. Yeah, again, just like meeting people and relationships there. You kind of see God through that. Going with different people, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic conditions, you grow. God has called us to be people who engage in authentic and genuine friendship with one another. And as much as our lives maybe have looked different, we as people are not all that different from one another. I've met so many people. I've come to Church over 10 years. And I met people who go there every Sunday and we've never crossed paths. So 
Um, I think God wants us to know each other, and it really felt like what Jesus meant church to be. Everything interaction was just so community-oriented. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of people that I've like, never met before. It was really good to know them, and we play like, games together, <laughs> and it's really good because now I know people, and it just feels like I'm more connected with the church. It would be amazing to have that kind of community. I, I would have that constant direction going for me and it, it would be amazing. In general, like talking with anyone, I'd say be more open-minded and connecting, like talking to anyone, basically. Trying to extend time with people that you might not necessarily spend time with. Uh, the community barbecues and, and the games and like meeting at a park, all those things can kind of recreate part of, you know, what we had at the retreat as well. I think God, uh, is our good shepherd and he wants all of us in the fold. And if we could just do that, meet everybody where they're at. At, at the deeper level, not mm. the superficial. superficial level, yeah. And it's not that a formalized program is the one and only or even the best way to live this kind of Jesus life, not even close. But for me, this has been a life-changing stepping stone that at 46 years old and after almost 20 years in church leadership, I somehow had never seemed to find before. I had no idea how much I was missing. I still don't. But at least I'm starting to see how much I don't see. And it really is about changing how we see because how we truly see will inevitably guide how we live. You know, what we do with these lives and hearts and moments and holy divine breaths that we have been given. The more time I spend in these environments, the more it is changing how and what and who I see. And ultimately, I get to see more of Jesus. I still feel new to Southridge, and I love the people that I meet here, but I will confess that Peter Garassi is one of my favorites. Peter's been a part of Southridge much longer than I have. At one point, he was a resident in the shelter, and though he lives on his own now, he's become part of the connected community. He's a tall, lanky guy, apparently in his 60s. You may know him by his thick Italian New Yorker accent, which is also my favorite. But I didn't actually meet Peter through the shelter or any of the support programs that he's a part of. I met him because I was a stranger in a new church without many friends yet. And he was sitting nearby me one morning, so I turned around and said hi. And in the past three years, I have come to cherish Peter. He is refreshingly unfiltered, totally honest. He has fierce love for his parents, both of whom are now gone. He's always asking about my kids, keeping up on the details. He offers to threaten the boys that come around for my daughter. He cares deeply about loyalty and respect. And if you cross those lines, he will let you know. It's hard for him to let anyone get too close. And I understand that one well. He loves to tease. On a good day, he's like a one-man comedy routine. He's also way too hard on himself and lives in way too much agony over long-ago regrets that he carries deep in his soul. He stumbles and he gets up. And he has faced more battles than most of us in this room will ever understand. And the mere sight of him, <laughs> or the sound of his voice, fills my heart with joy. It's an unlikely friendship, perhaps. Though I don't actually think any friendships should be unlikely. 
But you know what I mean, like without some intentionality, without a community like this, left to so-called normal world circumstances, we might never have bumped into each other. Yet he has become one of the brightest spots of light for me in this place. And one of my very favorite parts of any day when we have the chance to connect. He makes me laugh. He makes me think. He gives me a hard time. I give him one back. It's beautiful. I think it's on its way to becoming a real heart-to-heart -heart friendship. I hope it is. He lets me know I have to work for it. Here's the thing, though. Four years ago, before becoming immersed in a community that thinks like this and feels like this and so very intentionally does like all this, I don't know if I would have even seen Peter sitting there five feet away from me. I don't know what categories my brain would have automatically and completely subconsciously placed him into, placed both of us into, that would have made that five-foot distance the Grand Canyon, that would have made me feel like he wasn't mine and I wasn't his. Because I had never done anything to intentionally disrupt the intense cultural slide of narrative telling me there are us's and them's all over the place. Because I'd never gotten close enough to even see, let alone tear down the walls myself relationally. I didn't know what I didn't know till I got way closer. So here I am, <laughs> finally learning difference, starting to be different, becoming new from the inside out again and again. One shelter dinner shift, one community barbecue, one hilarious and heartbreaking conversation with Peter at a time. And for too many years, I didn't realize what I was missing, but I am not missing it now. Not if I can help it. And if we can possibly help it, you won't miss it either. So God, we pray that you would open our eyes, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our arms to one another, to you, and to you and to one another over and over and over again. Jesus, would you become ever more real in our midst? We love you, Lord. Amen.